I've been very adamant about taking care of the basics so that you can do stuff that we'll probably talk about here in the future. Because if you take care of the basics and, you know, the roads are being paved, the sidewalks are being done, you know, some road improvements here and there, transportation is being talked about, uh, parks are being done. When you do things like the Tesla police cruiser, it's not out of left field. And it's also not, oh, well, why are you doing this instead of this important thing? Welcome back podcast and this week we have another awesome guest with us in the studio. This week we have John Ernst with Ernst Legal Group. He also happens to be the mayor of a little town called Brookhaven. Welcome John. Oh thank you so much for having me. So yeah my little town about 12th largest uh, city in the state of Georgia. The largest city in DeKalb County in terms of population and the largest city outside of Atlanta inside the perimeter. Things that people usually don't know about Brookhaven. Yes, and a hot real estate market. A massively hot real estate market. So, uh, John, you and I recently connected, I think more through politics, but um, we actually had a mutual con- contact that was trying to put us together last year. Um, uh, Mr. Jim McMahon, who was a member of the school board and uh, unfortunately passed away in an accident last year. So, uh, but he he was not successful in getting us together, but we did end up finding each other uh, around sustainability. And so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today is about our overlapping in the real estate world, but also about the leadership that you're doing in sustainability in the region. Well, I, it is um, very uh, interesting, uh, you know, how s- small the world is and how, how things work out in lots of ways. So I will. Certainly. Uh, so, uh, yes, it's, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, it's a interesting time right now. So certainly, sir, and leadership is more important on a lot of these topics, uh, kind of in the void, if you will. So it's, I'm really glad to have people such as yourself really taking the leadership and, and standing up and you know explaining these issues um, because so many times they've become partisan and they really aren't and they didn't used to be. Um, so really helping people on all sides understand the value. I would say it always was partisan. I, I think with the day and age of social media, you know, a lot of people didn't hear about it. They, you know, there'd be people that follow the news and such like that. Um, but the, the ability to have every issue be discussed by everyone would lead to partisanship um, no matter what. And so I don't think necessarily it's a bad thing. Um, it's just we're, we're in this transition as the social media, the internet, which is still, if you think about it, it's only 20, 30 years, really old, um, that we are just in this day and age, uh, very similar to uh, when the radio came out and TV came out. Um, radio came out and 30 years later, World War II happened. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, you have that kind of uh, technology bleeding into policy and then bleeding back out. So, it's a transformational moment. I mean, I, yeah. that's why I did this podcast, because it was a great way to use the Internet in a positive way yeah. um, to disseminate information and conversation um, and to let people know what's going on. But also some of the, the 
experience and truth telling, if you will, because there is so much FUD around a lot of these topics. Yes. Um, so before we dig into the topics a little bit, so tell me how uh, you came to be, why you picked real estate law as mm-hmm. uh, your place, okay. and then how that probably, I'm assuming, led you to uh, politics. Well, um, I I had worked before, I was working in politics right out of college. Um, I was, if you ever watched the West Wing, I was uh, Governor Barnes's Charlie. Um, if if oh, people I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> so I got out of school. I was on a campaign that ended up losing. Um, but I was the driver, so I got to meet everyone. I got in the Roy Barnes's campaign, um, and I was the young buck in the in the group and had a lot of fun. Um, I go off to law. I in the meantime, while I was in the governor's office, I was doing some real estate investing in town. Um, with I was kind of being a searcher for some people and. Uh, hanging out with some investors. So I always liked real estate. Um, and then, um, I go off to law school. Uh, I come out and, you know, I worked with them a little bit here and there and, uh, um, I built a, a little bit of a real estate practice. My practice is, uh, mainly real estate. I also, uh, did bankruptcy and do bankruptcy. That's, um, kind of the yin and yang of the economy. Um, yes. and, uh, I also do a little personal injury. So, um, but uh, so, but I'd always really liked real estate, and um, and has and I've stayed in that. Uh, politics wise, kind of got was the bug wasn't actually from real estate though. Uh, land use and that kind of stuff does lead itself um, very much so in being a, a policymaker and then real estate in Agreed. the future. So so we'll see how that all plays out in the future. Yes. So what is your experience with, uh, with the realtor associations? Have they, have they worked with you much? Have you had much interaction with them? I've, I have, you know, I've had some conversations. I've spoke a few times here and there, um, you know, and, uh, you know, on topics ranging from uh, property tax appeals to, um, uh, just what's happening in Brookhaven. Um, and so that's, um, you know, that's a market that, uh, I'm trying to, you know, try to, be a little bit better on and try to get out. Um, but you know, uh, it's, it's a, it's a tough market out there. So certainly, certainly. Well, that kind of brings me up to a question. Um, just off the top of my head, you mentioned property tax appeal. So that's yeah. going to be coming up in July when people get their new property taxes. Is that uh, something you work in? Uh, it is something I work on. It's, uh, sometimes in April, May just depends when DeKalb releases the property taxes, um, uh, when they actually will go final. But um, it's usually in later spring time frame when that occurs. So okay. yeah, it's something I do. I do it for DeKalb, Fulton County, um, uh, Gwinnett. Um, and, uh, I'm, uh, my, my business model, I can go either way. I can either do a percentage of savings that people do, you know, a flat or uh, you know, a little bit down and percentage of savings, like almost everyone does, or I do it just a flat fee and whatever happens, happens. Um, so I give that opportunity to either side and uh, awesome. uh, people, you know, can make their choices on, on that. Yeah, especially in the, with the market the way it is now in, in Brookhaven and other cities that are growing exponentially. Uh, DeKalb had, I think, an 8% uh, increase in property gains over 2019. Uh, a lot of that, I think, was really like the south side finally coming up. But, yeah. um, you know, we are obviously going up and people every year see that those new bills and they, they are probably going to want to fight them. So yeah. you're definitely a local resource and you probably yeah. have some local <laughs> local knowledge no. with how that's going. Yes. Um, so, 
you and I, uh, in our recent kind of conversations around sustainability, we've talked about, uh, you know, we've shared our perspectives and our experience with it. And I was really excited to see what Brookhaven is doing under your leadership, but also kind of what the conversations are going from there. Um, so you and I talked about, you know, solar, we talked about energy efficiency, and you shared some thought process on um, both of those and what y'all are deciding to tackle first, which is a really smart approach. Yeah, so we are, um, we are, you know, we've looked at solar and our new buildings. We're building our police station and our municipal courts right now. It's a 14, $15 million build right now going on on the Peachtree Creek Greenway, which we'll probably discuss in the future. Um, we did not put solar in it, but because um, currently what we're doing is I wanted it that building to be as, as most efficient as possible. Um, I didn't I didn't demand that it be net zero, um, but I I called it nearly net zero. Um, and so we're we're doing a, um, a geothermal HVAC system, which will be probably one of the largest. Uh, in the southeast uh, in terms of square footage that we're aware of. I, I mean, there's some warehouses that are bigger in North Carolina, but on a municipal space, no one does geothermal in this size. Wow. Um, as folks may know out there, geothermal is highly, highly energy efficient. Um, and so we are, you know, triple pane windows, insulation, highly efficient HVAC system. We are running natural gas to the building, though there was a debate whether or not we do that completely. Um, but uh, currently, uh, you know, just in case we need to have that. Um, uh, but so doing that, how I see it is if you spend the money up front to make it as energy efficient as possible, when you do put solar or whatever um, out there, um, the building's more likely to be able to be um uh, net zero or a, a positive uh, out there. So many people, you know, want a social um, signal or virtual signal. Like here, look, here's a one solar panel or something like that. <laughs> yes. um, and in the end, that doesn't really do much. And I'd rather spend the money on the efficiency, which is cheaper to over time, uh, yeah. so that in the future, as solar prices continue to go down, as we all know, that um, you know that's an easy redo by the the uh, uh, by the, the, the city in the future and put in solar and then that building is a net zero or net positive. Very awesome. And, and, and also on that is is the less you use, then the less you have to generate through like a renewable source. So Correct. That's, that's really awesome. And it is something that we talk about uh, in real estate when we're talking about green buildings, at NAR and whatnot. Uh, the power and like you said, the affordability of some of these really simple energy efficiency measures that pay huge dividends. Um, sometimes it's for homeowners. In your case, it's for the taxpayers of mm. Brookhaven. So it's great that they have a steward who's looking out for their long term uh, benefit in that way. You mentioned so, so square footage. Do you know what the number is about on that? About forty five thousand square feet. Oh wow, very. Yeah. And where you said that's going along the Greenway? Where is that being built? Um, right. Uh, the, the entry will be on Briarwood Road. Um, oh, it's, yeah. it's, so the Briarwood Road en entry is going to be the where um, it is um, uh, turned in, uh, there, and uh, it's going to double as an uh, overflow parking lot on Saturdays and Sundays for the Greenway. Okay. Now, you also mentioned an early idea. I've, I know there's some other people talking about it. Germany does this stuff. Um, you had mentioned the some possibility or thoughts, early thoughts around 
like a, a microgrid or something like that for Brookhaven? Well, I mean, correct. I mean, really early thoughts. Um, you know, are the greenway lies along transmission the eight uh, geo, um, Georgia Power transmission lines? I've chatted with Georgia Power about how would we set up uh, a microgrid in our area, um, and we we love we be willing to be a test case. Um, we've thought about uh, doing uh, you know uh, battery backups, um, you know in, in and near our parks and such like that to to be the, the place to store that. Uh, that stuff for microgrid uh, ability. Um, and uh, also we even thought about going back to geothermal about, you know, at some time you could be a utility and we could build our own wells in the right of ways and then lease them out to um, homeowners in the future. Those are all very early stages, no numbers, no nothing. It's just, it's something to, to take a look at and, and, and see at some point um, really not working on it now, but it's, you know, it's it's the way we, I believe we're going to go, um, and uh, but I also believe you, you need to work with our partners, Georgia Power and exactly. other stuff, to actually get it done. Um, a lot of folks out there are, you know, uh, you know, the believe the utilities are, uh, you know, cause lots of issues, which they do. Um, I also think that if they're in the energy space, they're they're going to be hoping to be part of the solution to to actually um, to to turn us to more green energy they're going to they're going to have to be a part of it and correct and i believe they're you know they should be integrally involved i've had a lot of really good conversations with them um i believe when vogel goes on line i think the number at the time is 54 percent or 57 percent of our energy will be carbon free in georgia okay. yes yeah, a huge step and that's a massive step um we have a really good with lanier and um Alatuna with hydroelectric. Um, uh, Georgia is the n- number one state, I think, in the country for solar potential. I've heard that before. Yes, I've heard something similar. Um, we don't have as much wind energy. We'll probably have some off the coast, but very little. Um, but, you know, I I believe that climate change is an existential threat to the to, to humanity. Um, and I'm a, I'm a believer um, that one has to get carbon free as quick as possible. So um, the fact that that I think Georgia, despite of itself in lots of ways, is going to be, could be a, one of the first, you know, a leader in the state. And if, if we switch policies, we can be a leader in the country, in the world to get to uh, carbon free. And then uh, from there, I think we can get to 100% renewable. So yeah. it, I think it's very doable for all the reasons you said. And, and you, it's really important to have visionaries such as yourself talk about some of these ideas that maybe seem far-fetched to most people um, and to say hey this is you know a vision let's see how we can make it a reality and it, it's what's kind of going on here like with commissioner Eccles and but i think bubba mcdonald is the other commissioner that are you know very right wing but they are big proponents of solar and renewable in georgia and so being able to have a conversation and work you know with everybody in the room is what's really important including like the utilities yeah i so i mean i think we are one PSC commissioner away um, to being to having a majority that is very focused um, on solar and renewables um, as a as an energy source. I mean, just the numbers just play out. Um, even with the drop in prices um, in uh, in gasoline currently and such, I mean, I think right now, from what I understand, solar is cheaper than buying coal. 
just buying the coal to put into the plant. Um, and so uh, when, and offshore wind is definitely cheaper than that. Um, so, you know, we're really seeing a transition and the transitions brought about through leadership, but also through the marketplace as, Correct. as you know, we can all have virtual ideas, but be honest, we all know that society won't accept a higher price option. Correct. I was just going to bring that up was that like the economy is changing in Georgia. You know, we, so we don't produce or refine oil here. So we import all of it, obviously for our vehicles. Um, we also import things like, like coal, but we are really becoming a leader in the industries for batteries. We have, you know, the, the gigafactory going up in commerce for mm-hmm. SNK and, uh, Sonen, um, the German battery maker. And, um, I think they do solar as well as right down the road here in Tucker. And, um, we've got a new solar plant in Cartersville, I believe the mm-hmm. Northwest side, um, you know, so we're, we're getting that, you know, we're getting there and they're seeing the money. And I think that, you know, all these businesses are also locating here because they have a lot of data they look over and they're deciding that Georgia has the infrastructure, the potential, and I would think the policy support, um, or else they wouldn't be putting these massive investments here in the state. Yeah, I think I think on on the current administration and on the, maybe on the right side of the aisle, uh, you know, they see it as an economic development, uh, and which is fine in my mind. Fine, it doesn't matter how you get there; just how you, you is to get there. The result. Uh, the, the result. result. Um, with a couple more small little policy changes, um, we could be you know um, we could really be as they say cooking the crease. And go to electric vehicles. You know, we had that tax credit, which, you know, Georgia was the second state or number two state in the country with electric vehicles for a period of time until they made that punitive thing. If you went back to even half, I think you would have a massive uh, increase in electric vehicles, which when I, as you know, I have had electric vehicle now for seven or almost eight years. Um, Are you on in the same car? I'm in the same car. I'm a Nissan Leaf. Um, and um, and so the, it's parked behind your car right now. Um, and I was like, darn it, you have a Tesla charger. I would love to switch you. <laughs> but anyway, um, um, and so, you know, if you go back to a more neutral or positive po- policies, um, you could see a real transition. And at my point eight years ago, I was on TV. I wasn't a mayor. I was just some random dude. They pull on TV is, you know, why would we give our money to outside forces at that time, most of our oil came from Saudi Arabia at that time. Now it's all uh, domestically, but why would we do that when I could just pay Georgia Power, which for all its its problems, does reinvest that their money back into the community. They're you know they're very yeah they're they're here they're they're, they're they're producing it here at every step and they're big supporters of so many things. Correct and, and so organizations. correct and so you know. And in the end, it's cheaper. So even with super low gas, I'm, I mean, I, I don't, I haven't, you know, $20 to get a barrel gas. I don't know what the number is, but it's still multiple that it's cheaper uh, to be electric. And so, um, you know, I definitely see uh, vehicle to uh, grid technology coming in the future. Um, we have, you know, a whole bunch of batteries uh, throughout. Um, and I, I, and I see, uh, and, you know, it helps on the environment overall environment in terms of climate change but helps on the local environment in terms of pollution and health outcomes well speaking of vehicle to grid that's something that i've always wanted because you know obviously being here in atlanta uh in this portion of northeast atlanta 
we have a lot of trees. Yeah. And we have one or two days a year where, you know, whether it's a hurricane, a snowstorm, or just a random day that a tree goes down, um, and we will lose power. And so there's nothing been nothing has been worse than the feeling of when, when we have two electric vehicles sitting out in our driveway and we can't power our house with them because we don't have that current technology to essentially reverse the, the EV charger. And I know obviously other countries do it. Um, there has been some, uh, I think San Diego Power and Light uh, did a, a use case with BMW four or five years ago with the i3. Mm-hmm. Um, my feelings and what I see from Tesla is Tesla doesn't want Tesla cars to do that because of additional cycles on the battery. Mm-hmm. But Nissan and BMW and some others have been receptive to it. And I did see a CES this year. I think the company is called Quasar. They finally introduced... Um, it may have been a Chatamo adapter, if I remember correctly. Mm. It was four grand, and it, it could not only charge your car, but it could also interface back to your panel. So I'm really interested to see if um, if that kind of comes around, because when we talk about resiliency, you know, you wouldn't have to necessarily have you know a separate battery, a power wall, or something like that in your house, but you could utilize the car in your driveway. Correct, and and yeah, it would it would degrade the battery over time, but that's, you know, you have the cost benefit analysis of, do I get a separate battery? Do I, you know, how do I work that? Agreed. Um, and these are, you know, there's the, the technologies there. It's just policy choices that people make. And then the companies make on whether or not to, to, to go with that. I, I, I th- you know, I think a big thing would be um, electric school buses, especially in the summertime. Agreed. They they could make um, some serious money. I you know I would hope the school board, especially you know DeKalb and all these other th- um, school boards, that buy hundreds and thousands of school buses. You know um, that that would be an electric school bus, which is available, and I think would you know sh- would be shown to um, save them money that they will end up going it. The issue with government is people are a lot of times are scared because you individuals can make a dis- decision and you could be wrong about it and you lose a little bit of money and you don't you talk about it to your friends and that's it. When government does something and loses money, everyone freaks the hell out yes. because how do you, how dare you waste my you know uh, my money um, and uh, you know everyone takes ownership of that and so. Uh, administration folks and people and not necessarily policymakers, but just the, the day-to-day don't want to do something that ends up costing them the job uh, in lots of ways. And so they're by nature are very conservative folks in terms of trying something new. So, you know, it's up to usually up to elected officials to, to start moving the needle. And, um, and I hope that that is, you know, end up doing, but, you know, a lot of these elected officials have, you know, their primary goal, like education kids is, you know, in the Cap County school systems and buildings and the normal stuff that's not settled right now. And they don't want to think about this kind of futuristic stuff. And it yeah. also takes focus away. So that's why Brookhaven, we've been very, I've been very adamant about taking care of the basics so that you can do stuff that we'll probably talk about here in the future. Because if you take care of the basics and, you know, the roads are being paved, the sidewalks are being done, you know, some road improvements here and there, transportation is being talked about, uh, parks are being done. When you do things like the Tesla police cruiser, um, it's not out of left field. And it's also not, oh, well, why are you doing this instead of per- the, yes. the, the, this important thing? 
Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. And um, I don't know that I had really ever thought about it because maybe I'm in unincorporated cab. So I guess, you know, we haven't been able to get past the potholes and, and the water shed issues to be able to do some of these other things. That, but it's, it's a very great point. So kind of speaking about that Tesla, uh, the police car that you guys that you guys have, um, tell us a little bit about that program, how it came about. And Well, I mean, it just basically I'd, I've been talking to my city manager for quite a bit um, that I would love to test down and my police uh, chief would love to test out a fully electric how would we go to a fully electric uh, police car um, I did it on multiple different levels uh, environmental level we have sustainable Brookhaven sustainable means on not just environmental but financial uh, policies um, a continuation how is it Brookhaven sustainable not just the typical environmental aspect of it but with um, and it really kind of came out of this Tesla talk, the sustainable Brookhaven talk, to kind of be an overarching theme. Um, but the Tesla was, how would we do, how would we have an electric police vehicle? What would that mean? Part of it is kind of was, I, I have an electric police, I have an electric car. I know how great electric car is. A lot of folks out there are hesitant to have it. Mm-hmm. I also thought if, if police can use it and it's successful, all that, you know, outside of the U.S. military, no one's more respected in most circles than police and fire. And so if they can use it and speak highly of it, then that will help. It's huge with, buy-in. It's a huge buy-in through the rest of the community. So we ended up buying a used uh, Tesla Model S. Um, Did you buy that certified pre-owned from Tesla or was this private party? Private party. We bought it for $42,000. Um private party uh, got a real good deal on it um and we uh um you know outfitted it which took some time which we'll kind of go into and uh um and so we and then we give it to uh gave it to a, a uh one guy who was a sh- um you know it was also our SWAT so he's um you know he can travel some different uh some distances and such we were going to try to spread it around but i'll get to that point why the one guy still is the <laughs> one who's driving it yeah. um but i want to test out i want to see what the positives were and want to see what the negatives so that i also they can inform both tesla and the the uh greater um automotive that hey not only is the electric vehicle possible here's some pros here's some cons this is what you have to think about and uh, we were the third city in the state in the country to do it. First, east of the Mississippi, uh, L.A. did it, um, but it was just a show car. They really didn't go on patrol. Okay. Uh, San Jose did it right there. Tesla. It was coming up right when we were coming up, so they were on the board a little bit before we were actually on the road. Um, and subsequently, I think. Uh, um, Bridgeport or Newbridge or uh, a Connecticut city is as uh, bought a Model Three and is testing a Model oh, Three. I right? did see that story. That that'll be interesting because obviously a huge size difference in those two Correct. cars. So one thing I'm really glad you brought up was how much you guys paid for. So funny thing is we basically paid the same thing for both of our cars. So that uh, I bought a 2014 uh, certified pre-owned from Tesla, mm-hmm. um, and this was back in 17 when you know there just there weren't many used Teslas. And it was like a, a game. It was almost like the housing market. You'd go on their website, a new car would come up, and you would hope that you bought it before somebody else did. 
And my car was like one of the cheapest that came on at that point. Uh, it is pre-autopilot, so I don't have you know any autopilot. I think y'all's is a 15 yeah. with autopilot. Um, but I got my car for 42800 um, from Tesla. And uh, what's really important about that is because some of the things that are said to me by some of the same people that were negative about you guys getting a Tesla is this assumption that it's a six-figure car yeah. and that you must have spent six figures on this vehicle um, and, and, and just kind of getting nasty about that and assuming yeah. that it's only to, like you were saying earlier, putting one solar panel up. But it's, it's a proof in concept. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I started with a Leaf. And I, I love electric vehicles. And when I bought my car, there was nothing else at that point in the market that could go 265 miles on one charge. And that was $40,000, yeah. right? So I bought a CPO Tesla. Um, it is interesting when people do think that I must be a millionaire yeah. because I, I've actually had kids uh, at my kid's school. They're like, you must be a millionaire. Yeah. You drive a Tesla. But um, but I do talk about that because while it's great for people to think I would be silly enough to spend 100000 or more on a car, what I really want to do is talk about the real numbers of it because I spent $42,000 on a car and I saved $3,000 a year on gas alone compared to if I were buying gas. That's the difference between how much my electricity cost me versus what gas would. You know, So over three and four years... I'm down well below the average price of a car in the U.S. when we consider those fuel savings. And I'm sure you guys have seen something similar with your Tesla. Yeah, very much so. I mean, we're, we're saving on average, I think it's um, $17. A, I think the last thing I remember, I think it's $17 in gasoline uh, each shift. Oh, wow. So That's huge. That adds up really fast. Yeah, adds up. Now, he's not driving every day. Um, it's a take-home car. He lives 30 miles north. Um, to my knowledge, he's never been below 40% electric charge. He charges at home. Um, and, uh, he comes, does his thing. Uh, we, you know, we have pursuit cameras, uh, videos of, you know, pursuits where he's chased, uh, people out. Um, some of the, you know, and so, uh, what I was saying earlier, you know, why it was supposed to be spread around to different people is just, he loves it so much that he doesn't want to give it up. And That's a good thing to hear. Yeah. You know, I, so I was part of Leadership to Cab class of 2019. Are you? Did you do I, that I've done that yet. No. Um, so as part of that, you do a police or fire ride along. And so I rode along with police. And I was very curious because uh, obviously from the EV perspective, because they drive, they're transitioning all to Chevy Tahoe's, huge yeah. SUVs. Yeah. But uh, I was with a rookie. And so he was in one of the, the Caprices or yeah. whatever the cars are that they have, the GM special cop cars. Yeah. And so I, you know, I asked him, I was curious. I was wondering if a 260 mile battery would work or mm -hmm. even maybe something 150. And so, you know, after riding with him on that, I think it was a 10 hour shift about, um, you know, and, and really they, you know, they leave precinct and yeah. they drive to their little, uh, is it called a beat or beat or pre or, or whatever? Yeah, beat. yeah. And they really just kind of drive around it for, for the, the, the few hours. And so I asked him and he said he, on a, on a high night, he might rack up 80 miles of range. And of course, I mean, we did a lot of idling. Right. When well, yeah, well all forks. cars, police cars are idling about 40% of the time. And that, that's it's, huge. It's, yeah. that, that's pollution. That's wasted energy. As you and I know, when an electric car is sitting, the motor is not consuming energy. It's just your 12 volt accessories, which is a much lower draw. We put a, we, uh, we put a little bit extra battery in the back to, to care of all the, the ampage uh, and stuff awesome. like all for, all for the uh, police. Um, because they have, you know, 
they have a lot of technology in the car. So that's more technology. So, you know, uh, the, the Tesla computer, if Tesla opened up that computer to us, it would actually be able, you know, you could save a whole bunch of outfitting costs and, um, uh, you know, you could put the cat in there. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that wasn't, they're not quite there yet. Um, so, but yes, we, you know, those are the things that I want to talk to the industry about. Like, Hey, you have, everyone has these big screens now. It's a computer. It's a very highly powered computer. It yes. can run CAD. It can run the police stuff. Um, and you can have police mode basically. So uh, do you think Tesla hasn't done that yet? Because really they're at this point supply constrained, right? They're, they're selling I, all they can. I, I think so. And they, they, you know, it would never was, I don't think it was in their DNA or even thought that, you know, oh, police would do it. You know, I think they, you know, could miss an opportunity in that regard. Like you said, the autopilot's a very big thing. You know, Tesla is looking at a, a you know, future in which they're the, you know, transit agency for the entire world, or at least America, in terms of um, being a, uh, an Uber, you know, uh, driverless Uber, for lack of a better term, to, for everyone. And that model, that uh, you know, kind of going in the future, I think that's where they long-term think about it. A police, no, you know, you'll still need police no matter what. You don't need that, you know, that technology's, you know, not, that doesn't help us really. Yeah. Um, I can tell you on the Model 3 um, in the Connecticut city, they turned all, they had nine cameras. They turned seven of them, or five of them into LPRs. Um, what with, was an LPR? Uh, a license plate reader. Oh, so, okay, very a, cool. And it's technology that when a car drives by and it's stolen or whatever, it, hit, it gets a hit and or tags not expire or something like that. But um, we have in Brookhaven, we put all LPRs all throughout Brookhaven. Uh, we're the first city to do that with Georgia Power. And, uh, you know, we've, you know, on average, we would get one or two stolen cars a year. The first month we recovered seven stolen cars. Oh, wow. That's a huge difference. The huge difference. And we've been, you know, solving crimes left and right because of, you know, you know, going back in time and going, okay, who was here in this area at that time? There was a black, you know, a black uh, Chevy Tahoe per se was the thing. Okay. What license plate went through this at, mm-hmm. th- at this time? And then you can see, um, uh, you know, lots of stuff. So our investigators are really, you know, helping being able to solve crimes and, um, and such, but so there's just so much stuff out there, um, you know, the Tesla, but again, Tesla was not thinking about fleet. They don't, they don't understand fleet at all. Uh, Um, you know, they don't understand and probably because it's, you are, they are uh, constrained, but you know, if I ordered a hundred, you know, if I switched to Tesla's right now and ordered 20 cars, they can't get it to us. You know, yeah. for any amount of time, and police and governments are used to calling up, have a state contract calling someone up and saying, "I need a car," and it comes the next day, two days later, and here comes the car. It's automatically you then send it to the outfitter. They know exactly how to outfit. It's like twenty different off-model products out there yeah. that's super cheap. Gets outfitted really cheap, and and that car. A normal car when we buy that gets on the road when the city buys it is on the road within three or four days. Oh wow! I didn't realize turnaround was that fast. That's yeah. awesome. When we, the Tesla took a couple months, if not longer, much longer. Okay. Yeah, well, while, it, quite it was a bit. probably the first on the East Coast at that. Correct. Point, so a lot and, of learning. And a lot of learning, but then Tesla itself didn't want 
didn't want us talking to San Jose. They were very secretive about a lot of uh, things. They there there are things I don't like. I'm not a my husband will call me a Tesla fanboy. Yeah. Um, and I am to a point, but I I, I don't necessarily gloss over things they don't do. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're a little protectionist of certain things at times too much. Um, and I think that's a great use case. You know, their their model as a business is to uh, move the whole industry towards sustain, sustainability. So whether that's Chevy that creates a product or it's them. So it seems a little bit like with that approach, like they're breaking from it. Well, I, correct. I, I think they they could have had an opportunity maybe with a Cybertruck or the Y to, um, or their next, I mean, they, they could come out with, a, I, I'm a member of the, U.S. Mayor's Conference of Mayors, and it's, you know, talked about, I talked about this um, this pilot. Um, and I can tell you, you know, if they had a police cruiser model that would fit all the needs, it would sell out. I mean, they, could, they couldn't produce enough of oh, it. Oh, I'm sure, because they're looking at total cost, right? Yes. They're, not, they're not just looking at that acquisition cost. They're saying, this will save us huge amounts on fleet costs on an ongoing basis. And obviously, the usage... Those cars just last longer. Correct. And so not only you have that, you have um, uh, the, uh, and then you do have the people who want to be, you know, all these big cities who want to be very energy efficient. There's just not, you know, why is there not an electric police cruiser? Because there's just not enough, there's not because there's not demand for it. It's just there has not a product as of yet. Yeah. Um, the Model S does not work for a police cruiser. It's a, it is a uh, luxury vehicle. There's no, you know, Simple things like there's no there's not enough room for a cage in the back, so you can't pr- transport prisoners. Yeah. Um. So how are are people arrested? So you could get around it by having a, uh, a a paddy wagon, for lack of a better word, to come drive around. But you know, for our city, we don't n- normally do that. Usually, the pol- police arrest someone and they take them to to cab jail, and so it's an operational change. And so operational changes take a long time to get through. Certainly, the thing. Um, things that can be worked out, but you know, you know, that would be something that my police and my, um, uh, my police chief and my police really want is be, be able to do that. They can't do that now. Um, uh, you know, certain other things, it, it, it does sit low, so it's not an easy, yes, it does. <laughs> it, it's not an easy in and out for those officers. And you have to think about it. You know, most officers are younger, but when they get older, you know, they're in and out of that car a lot. Yes. And, and that takes a toll on the body. Um, and so, um, you know, having, you know, they all want the big Tahoe is mainly not because of anything, not necessarily, I mean, they may say, oh yeah, big, you know, strong vehicle, but also it's just, it's the easiest thing to get in and out. It's simple yeah, life. And very so, true. And so the thought process is maybe with the why, um, when they finally come out, that could be, you know, something that'd be a bit better for a um uh you know for uh, more for a police cruiser but you know what we found with this is we're actually brookhaven is now only buying hybrid so we're buying the as many um explorer hybrid cars that they're that they produce that we can get and now is that a plug-in hybrid or just a standard hybrid i i believe it is a just a standard hybrid um i think I'm not too sure. I I've heard both things, and okay. and we haven't got one yet. So, um, <laughs> but it'd either be a standard, but and you know we transition normally a police car only lasts about three years, 
And how many miles is that about usually? 100,000. Usually at 100,000, they'll dump them. Because so, so that's powertrain that's an issue at 100,000? Powertrain, correct. And transmission and all that other stuff. Very so good. I have 100,000 miles on that Tesla in the driveway right now. Exactly. And by the way, it's it's almost like it's new. Correct. And that's that's the thing about electric. And that's what I sold my, is that we can um, defray the capital cost. So, you know, you buy one vehicle, 42, it was only, uh, uh, Explorer is only 38. So we're it's like $4,000 difference. Well, if we have one more year on the Tesla than the Explorer, we've saved money. And so mm-hmm. as the capital goes out and you can extend that capital, the city is saving tons and tons of money over time. And so that's the biggest thing I see for the electric vehicles is the, the cost savings. Awesome. What I love that you guys, at a minimum, while, while there isn't a easy solution all electric at the moment, you were able to find a middle ground so that at least there's progress from there. Well, correct. And we, we want to use it to, to inform the industry of what things that we need. What are th- And then also uh, the police themselves, other agencies out there say it's possible. And I, I'll give you an example. So when we got the, the police car, there was, you know, the Tesla, everyone was like, oh, who's going to drive it? And they were giving it one share, uh, one um, sergeant. And the sergeant was like, no, I don't want it, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, it went over. And then finally someone said, oh, sure, I'll take it, whatever. Um, so we, it was getting an outfit, getting an outfit. It was going to be brought into to the, to the city. Um, and, uh, and they're like, hey, sheriff, I mean, sh- uh, not sheriff, sergeant, go get it. So he went to go get it. Uh, got dropped off. He got the vehicle. I was there when he pulled into to the uh, police station. He comes out of the car and first things out of things, like, I want this car because <laughs> this is the best car. I, like, I This is unbelievable. And so it was him and everyone else who took a look. He drove it. People that normally would never drive an electric car who would be folks that would you would think are not green conscious, whoever this stuff, who just absolutely love the car. And that's what happened with this guy who got the vehicle, uh, Clifford. He doesn't want to give it up. Because yeah. um, there's so much in there. You know, there's there's the people that are uh, doing it for environmental reasons. There's the performance. Yeah. You know, that's the big one. And even if you don't start with performance, you eventually are sold by the performance. And then, of course, there's the people financially. And so when you have all of those, I mean, you can bring a lot of people under that tent. Yeah, correct. And, and, and then having, again, the police to be a... a validator that says this actually works guys yeah and that um sergeant basically said yeah we're you know my wife and i are talking about how can we get an electric car ourselves that's that's that says a huge piece yeah so who regionally uh other departments county city uh have like i know atlanta does a lot they don't have an electric they don't have a tesla they have a lot of leafs they have a po leaf that uh, georgia power gave them back in the day but they usually use it just on the belt line for more like publicity um, what other jurisdictions have kind of approached y'all about the Tesla to here? Just mainly Connecticut, to be honest. It, has, it hasn't spread out. We have, um, you know, we were trying to do the pr- pr- more proof and concept. We have data we're running. We'll probably be about four or five, six months into it. Then we're going to try to do a nice big release, kind of showing what. Very cool. Um, uh, and go from there instead of, uh, again, I didn't want it to be virtual signaling. I didn't want to say, look at this car and we, I, I was demanded. Uh, I said, we're going to buy, we're going to get a Tesla and it has to be on patrol. We have to do a whole workup. This can't be just something we buy. It goes to the, the to the uh, elementary schools. It goes to the, the electric car roundups, which it does. But, you know, it goes to the, 
the sheriff's uh, conference and that's, you know, and that's all it does. We, it, this needs to be a, um, you know, a working car and, and if it fails, so be it. That's okay. I, uh, trying success was just to try. It doesn't matter if it didn't work out as a car or as a police car. Fine. Why didn't it work out? Hence, and how could we solve it? How could we solve it? Industry or this is what didn't work out. Industry solve that problem. So going to like these mayor conferences and speaking to the industry, are there other non-Tesla manufacturers that are possibly listening that interested in stepping up? Not to my knowledge is yet, but I mean, again, they don't have the models out there. I think, you know, if you have a fully electric Explorer, I could, you know, it's just a natural fit. And so it's how it's going to happen is when you have these fully electric models that people understand and know um, that will, you know, outside of Tesla having its own police fleet uh, thing, which I don't think they're, you know, it doesn't seem like they would be wanting to do. Um, it's going to be the, the GMs and the Fords that have their models that are just all electric. And then um, as, as this filters through the, the ether of the police mindset will start being transitioning through. Most depart our department give them we give take home cars so every police has their own car they take them home. Most departments have one car and it's just shift changed. Okay. But with 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 charging and all that other stuff, you know, um, that's what Connecticut City has, um, and you know, or uh, that's what San Jose does, and they've been fine except for one thing where they forgot to charge. And it immediately got in a high-speed uh, chase, and you know, it of was course, a, that would be the time. And that'd be the time, and it and it it broke very shortly after that. You know, it it failed and had to bow out. Well, you know, they didn't charge it like they were supposed to. It was at thirty percent. It went for another, you know, seventy-five miles chase, um, and then it bowed out. Turns out quite a bit a lot of times cars break down or police cars break down in a chase yeah it's not an abnormal thing so okay um but of course because it was electric it was high profile correct and so that's you know then you and again that's a fit you know that's that's a failure not because a failure but it's a success because then you know what to do and you know what policy changes to make and someone didn't plug it in like they were supposed to and um it was it wasn't supposed to, by the policy, wasn't supposed to be out yet, um, okay. and, and such. Um, but something happened, and you know. But again, you make a policy change and you, you do resources. But I mean, but it's not just the gasoline savings. I mean, the oil changes, the lack of oil changes, and the time it you know, every three thousand, four thousand miles, the, the officer has to get an oil change. Well, that's forty bucks, um, just for the oil change. But we are paying that officer to sit in the room as that oil change is going. Yeah. And so that time is, you know, add in. So the, you can go through a lots of different scenarios where it's saving this, the city money. Yeah. It, it, it's a huge potential. And it's one of those things until somebody experiences, whether personally or as a, as a, a police officer with their cruiser until you live it, then it really starts adding up and it, and you realize just how much time, how, how much money, all the benefits that you're saving. Um, so that's, that's really, really awesome. So before we wrap up here, I wanted to touch a little bit on Peachtree Creek Greenway, sure. which is uh, y'all's uh, kind of version. I'll, I'll 
I may misnomer this, but kind of like Brookhaven's Beltline in a way. Um, paths and things like that are, are very hot right now. Yeah. So um, that just recently opened. Um, mm-hmm. You and I took a, a little stroll down there a couple weeks back. Um, how has uh, reception been to that so uh, far? I mean, been unbelievably fabulous. I mean, just, you know, we've had so much rain. A lot of people haven't been out. Um, you know, we ground broke our ribbon cut on December t- uh, 18th, I think it was. Uh, since um, December 27th, I don't think, I think this may be the first day since December 27th that we haven't had rain. No, never mind, it rained yesterday. Um, you know, we haven't. We haven't had four days of non-rain uh, since December 27th at this point. Yeah, my mood can tell. Yeah, <laughs> and so, so we are, you know, we're still seeing numbers. People are talking about. I just can't wait till the spring occurs, and then that I can, for lack of a better term, boom, going to occur of people using it, um, and then you're going to start seeing the restaurants and stuff that kind of come up so, off of it. Now, the current part that's open is. Two miles? Uh, about 1.3 miles. Okay. So, so I'm between Briarwood Road and Northwood Hills. And there will be an extension uh, on the south side to connect it with? The city of Atlanta. And this, and with, we are in ARC grant. And actually, we're in design right now. Uh, we're in the federal process with um, uh, to connect into the Beltline, to Path 400 Beltline. Um, and Atlanta is doing their side, too. So we're going to connect to all the way to us in Atlanta, um, and the ARC is very keen on connecting to that. From once that connection to the south occurs, we'll move to the north and connect to Shambly, uh, basically from Briarwood to Claremont. Um, I think Shambly would then very quickly move, um, you know, uh, to to connect with us, and then goes through Incorporated Cab and Doraville. So, it, you know, it's a multi-jurisdictional issue, but also, you know. Getting that once we connect in, I think everyone will see. You know, it's a no-brainer to 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 move quickly to to get all connected yeah. in. Another thing that uh, is a way to demonstrate lots of different people coming together and working together successfully for a great outcome for everybody. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on today. Okay. Um, as I do at the end of every episode, um, like to give a way for people to connect with you, whether through John Ernst Legal um, or things about. Uh, the city of Brookhaven, what would be good ways to follow you on social media or connect with you? Well, I have um, Mayor John Ernst uh, Facebook page. I have my own individual Facebook page of John Ernst. Uh, Ernst Legal Group has a Facebook page. Uh, uh, websites, ErnstLegal.com. Mainly my social media is through Facebook. I do have a, a Twitter account. Uh, I think it's uh, Mayor John Ernst uh, for um, that will, I'll be honest, I don't really check that that much. Um, and then you know, my phone numbers is, are always online. Uh, you can call me on my cell. Um, and I'm reached by email at john at ernstlegal.com. And if it's city business, it's john.ernst at brookhavenga.gov. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your leadership, for explaining the exciting things that Brookhaven is doing in the sustainability realm. And uh, we will catch you guys next time. 